you know, for my son to say to me, they don't care about me. They're just counting for the money. That was hard for me to understand until I saw count time. I mean, I understood it, but I didn't understand how vicious, horrible is men in cages. Welcome to Warfare of Art and Law, the podcast that focuses on how justice does or doesn't play out when art and law overlap. Hi everyone, it's Stephanie, and that was fine art and real estate broker Anna D. Smith discussing the cover art for this episode entitled During the Flood, Count Time, by artist Donald C-Note Hooker. In the following conversation, Anna goes on to share about C-Note, his art, and how his time in the U.S. prison system has given him the unique ability to speak to issues of mass incarceration. Anna also shares about the work she is doing to shine a light on those issues and what more needs to be done. Anna D. Smith, welcome to Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. This is great. Would you start off with giving an overview of your work? You're in real estate and the arts, and and I'd love to hear uh, a bit about how you came to both of those careers. The reason I'm in real estate and the arts is I obtained my broker's license, and actually I started out in real estate typing mortgage credit reports to get myself through college. So that that's how it all started in real estate. And then I opened up a company with my dad and two other investors who were doing essentially the same thing and made it very profitable. Unfortunately, my dad had a stroke and I was asked to, I was given the choice to either be fired or teach the other two gentlemen the business. And I chose to be fired. So then I went to work at Stanford Management Company in gift real estate. I got my broker's license while I was working at Stanford. And then I decided after working at Stanford for about 10 years, it really just wasn't for me. I wanted to go out and do something different. Was disenchanted with it at that point with people being so cutthroat. They were earning a lot of money doing dirty deals, totally unethical. So I went back. uh, This is like in 2008. So this is when the crash happened with the the mortgage loans. And so I decided to get a paralegal degree. My thought process was get a paralegal degree and go work for a real estate attorney. And when I was getting my paralegal degree, they decided that um, I should volunteer. So I volunteered as a court-appointed special advocate. We're advocates to youth who are, you know, unfortunately in foster care situations or group homes. And the youth that I, or the case rather, was a difficult case. The young man, unfortunately, his mother was um, dying of limb girdle muscular dystrophy. He needed a lot of guidance and he just latched right on to me. We made a pact that I was going to get my paralegal degree and he was going to graduate high school and we both succeeded. But then he was tired of the system and basically ran away from 
the group homes, you know, transitional homes, and got himself in trouble. My husband and I adopted Emmanuel, and he really settled down. Um, the the lure to go back to the streets, though, it was a, a pull, and that was something that he was he grew up with all his life. And being on probation, or you know, it's just someone's always got their thumb on you, monitoring every single thing. He went to prison for five years. He's getting out or in September. But during this time, my twin brother passed away. And then Amanda went to uh, prison. And at that point, I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I was devastated. And that's when I reached out to Donald C. Note Hooker. He gave me a lot of encouragement a lot of understanding, and basically taught me the arts. How did you come to meet C-Note? What was the introduction point for that? There was a website called Wire of Hope. It's where you can establish a pen pal relationship with a prisoner. His profile caught my eye. He was an artist and he was also into law. But I wrote to him and told him my situation over the course of probably a year and a half of corresponding. I started to understand his art. He doesn't consider himself a great artist. I think he's brilliant. He's a playwright, a poet, a painter. He has been in several plays. His favorite artist is Da Vinci. Buck Adams was doing an Art for Redemption coffee book. And he chose C-Note's artwork, Paula Picasso, uh, for the cover of coffee book. And a lot of his art is surrounded around social justice. He sent me one piece a picture of an inside of a cell and to on the left and on the right is count time. It's a guest booklet of two works, you know, donated to the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA's Spring Festival, Connecting Art and Law for Liberation. And I think that's really what he's doing is connecting art and law for liberation perhaps explain what uh, the meaning is behind count time, because it's especially important, not just in all states of the U.S., but especially in California, where he and you are. There is a, a prison that is in Central California on aqueduct, and the water was coming up, and yet the guards were still telling the prisoners, it's count time. But the reason it remanated with me was that when my son would tell me, it's count time, I need to go. I didn't really know what that was. And then my son said, they don't care about me. All they care about is the money. They're just counting me as a number. It's really true. Prisoners can be, it could be during a hurricane and they're still, and you know, they, the put your head out of the water. They won't take them out of the cells. And yet they're going around and trying to count them. It's a horrible situation. I believe currently in, is it Cochrane? There are yeah. two prisons. And what was really stunning about this particular story is that there are 
approximately 8,000 inmates in those facilities, and the property that the prisons were built on was already prone to flood. Right. That's exactly why he he did that piece. And then they used that piece to help in Florida during Hurricane Ida and Dorian to bring awareness to the the coldness. Yeah. And it in Cochrane, it's it's still a pressing issue that's getting worse every month. The flooding is getting closer and closer yeah. and it's a very volatile situation. Right. Right. To another point that you brought up, this idea of the lack of appropriate payment for work. It varies state to state and facility to facility. But the bottom line is there's a widespread problem with undercompensation or for many states, no compensation for those who have been put in the system. It's basically slave labor. In California, I think it's maybe, I don't know the exact number, but maybe five cents an hour. So they don't earn enough to even go to the commissary if they don't have anyone on the outside supporting them, you know, or providing money and putting it on their books, they can't, they can't eat. So it gets even larger than not being able to eat or eat what having to eat what they're being served, which is moldy bread and other nasty things. If a prisoner is in prison and can earn money off their art or their poetry or or uh, writing a book, they would be far better off because they're going to be able to, to pay for restitution if they owe restitution, be able to pay for child support if they owe child support. They'll be able to, you know, support themselves in, in the prison as long as it's a lawful activity. It's, and then they can walk out of that prison, not with just $200 gate money, less the clothes that they charge in transportation money. That It just doesn't make any sense at all. So someone's getting out of prison, they only have maybe $100, and we don't have enough places for them to go. And, you know, they're being paroled to a, a certain place that they have to be paroled to. It, it makes no sense. So why not give them the opportunity to earn money in there? It sounds so trite, but it really broke my heart to see an innocent man who's been incarcerated for so long and his art is so powerful. And here he was giving it away. And that's, I think, where, I don't want to say I convinced, but I convinced, you know, why are you giving this art away when I can sell it? And I can hopefully put it in a lot of homes. So I set up a business, Anna D. Smith, Fine Art and Real Estate, the trademark. Fine Art needs a home and home needs Fine Art. Able to create a CV for him, a web page. I have quite a lot of social media. And I go out to art events, write about those events, and also write about real estate and other topics on my website. And especially that you as an advocate are pointing out how there are certain issues that only an individual in the system would know to raise a flag about. Otherwise, they're voiceless. Right. They're voiceless. And for instance, when I put up the billboard, the first one, 
was Incarceration Nation. The second one was Look Up Hope and Beauty. And I got some negative feedback for doing that. And in the way that I did it, because I used my own funds, they were saying, well, well, why didn't you do it this way? Well, why didn't you do it that way? I wanted to do it this way. You know, it was a beautiful piece of art that Zeno did. Well, it's Color Girl Warhol. It was a beautiful billboard. And I put it right in Santana Row, but or by Santana Row in, in San Jose. That's like a, a upscale shopping area. And the first one, uh, Incarceration Nation, was that in the same area? That was a little further back on, on Stevens Creek. And so that, the and it was a much smaller it, billboard. But what I did is I did a peaceful rally and it was, I got, I sent out invitations to all the council members and the mayor of San Jose, none of whom showed up. And I wanted to bring awareness to the the youth in foster care, you know, how difficult it is to be incarcerated, to be a prisoner, resources for people who were homeless or, you know, being paroled out. I had a whole table. So it was really interesting. It was interesting. So that was a setup that you did in correlation with the start of the billboard? Yes. So my goal, my goal was to do it billboards all the way down Stevens Creek Boulevard, which is a major boulevard in San Jose, and start at one side and then at, end at the other. But um, I stopped at Santana Row. But I, it's a beautiful billboard. It was a beautiful billboard, and we had it droned and put music to it. Can you describe a bit about the Incarceration Nation piece that C-Note did? It is, and I need to get my notes, but it's really, a, uh, and I, I want to say that I copyrighted that piece of art because of its importance. It's um, a piece of art that he did at 48 continuous states where the, and there have, like red pins in them where there were people were killed by the police. And it lists that. Uh, A point that I would love to hear your thoughts on misconceptions about those who are in the system and, and how art can address that or help shed light on it. I get three different um, responses from people, one, and I, you probably hear this as well. One, oh well, you know they can, they broke the law, therefore they are going to be, you know, they need to do their time. So there's the punitive part, right? And I, I love it when they say the law as if there's just one law, and that there's not corruption within the police department and that they're targeting, and I'm sorry, I'll say it, black and brown 
people. They're the largest population in in the prisons. Emmanuel is Hispanic. If he were white, maybe he would not have been given a harsh sentence. So, you know, he asked me point blank one time, why do you think I'm incarcerated? And I said, because of the color of your skin. So there's one feedback I get. Well, they broke the law. They're going to get a cot and three hot meals a day. So I'm not worried about it. The other people, I think, think, well, no, I really want to know about it, but I don't want to know about it. But tell me a little bit about it. And then there's another third. They have had somebody who has been impacted or they have been impacted. And they're they're trying to figure out a way to solve. I don't think there's a complete solution, but a solution to this. I think you asked me um, how to define justice. Yeah. Well, you, the point you led with uh, when you responded to me initially was that you wanted to amend the 13th Amendment. And there's just only, you know, one part of that 13th Amendment that needs to be amended. So neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime where of the party shall have have been duly convicted. And how can we do that as a nation? It was written to free people that were slaves. How can we amend the 13th Amendment? I, I don't know. Sounds like that would be a great uh, next billboard. I agree. And there's, a, you know, there's one gentleman who I know is really into abolish it. How can I put up a billboard and get people to come and really understand the importance of how we can do this collectively? Well, I mean, I, I feel like if there's any time where something like that is ripe for a discussion, it's now in the current climate that we're in, where everything seems to be ready yes. for a uh, reformation. And we're in, in June, it'll be Juneteenth, and we're celebrating that as a national holiday. So you're right. You're absolutely correct. Now's the time. We've also hit on the very unconstitutional approach to human rights that many have allowed in the correctional facilities and detention centers and substance abuse centers, what we call our U.S. system. And we haven't even touched on how many of the, is it approximately 2 million that are uh, in the system, how many of those are children? underage and how that's going to impact them going forward. The idea that there needs to be prison reform, that's not new, but to have more, especially when you're using imagery to tell that story, that can be so powerful. It would. I know the, the billboards are quite expensive in San Jose and they now, I was going to go back and redo this. The, the billboards are now like wanting three months. They don't want just one month. So, um, but yeah, no, if there could be a bu- public display, I 
I did it with my own funds because I didn't want to get grant money and be told how I needed to do it. But you're you're right. The more and this is interesting that I talked to a real estate broker yesterday. He, I said, I'm going for the luxury class. I I want C notes are in all your commercial buildings, all your renovations. And his eyes popped out like that could actually happen. With that, I wonder uh, how you have kind of come into this uh, without even intending to. You've just come into this whole space. And so how do you see the legacy that you're creating with this work that you're doing? It's not what I want for my legacy, but it's to continue with others. Because after all, we are all humans who have feelings and need connections. So I always feel like a prisoner is a person. They need connections. They have feelings. Life is about connections. And, you know, however, it brings us together through the art. And I really do refuse to be the one who throws the stone. Oh, well, you know, they broke the law. Martin Luther King has given me a lot of, you know, loving your enemy. That was a tough one when I was working at Stanford. There were some pretty vicious people at Stanford. Stanford can be very racist. We had a couple of situations where that was really happening in an office. And I was like, I don't know. How can I love this woman who's picking on this other woman? And it, so I think Martin Luther King has like inspired me that, you know, loving your, your enemies. And where do I have that quote? I'm looking for it. Well, I know the quote was from the Birmingham jail. Portion of it is injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Thank you. Yes. And that's really true. And that even, you know, and I'm not religious, I'm agnostic, but, you know, Jesus essentially said the same thing, that you have to love everyone. And you have to forgive. And I think, Sino and I have written about this in that, um, you know, without, without, Forgiveness, you know, it just perpetuates more evil. So, and that kind of goes back to the first third of the people that I encounter. I don't care. But wait till they break a law, right? They're going to care. And everyone has broken a law. Or if they're wrongfully convicted of breaking a law. That happens a lot. It does. A lot. And that, that, that's the case in C-Notes. Um, or if we don't grab the youth early, in the case of my son, where, you know, he was screaming out for help. You know, his mom was dying. He was living in group homes. They were transferring him five different group homes. He was trying to graduate high school. And he's like, I'm doing the best I can do. You know, what more do you want from me? So, 
he too, you know, in the group homes was responsible for cleaning the kitchen, cleaning the bathroom, rather than having laptops, having tutoring, making sure that the kids got to school, stayed in school, did their homework. There was none of that in the group homes, none of it. It was really sad to see. Would you share such a really compelling story you included uh, when you wrote to me about the gentleman who was in the system who had seen a contest uh, and submitted his drawing to it. Uh, It was a contest that spoke to rehabilitation versus punitive punishment. Uh, Do you recall that? If so, would you share? I do. So, So just to set the stage, it's this gentleman in a facility He's been incarcerated and he's going to an arts program in a facility, which is amazing and wonderful that that's there. Right. And he didn't want to go. He didn't. He was excited. He was excited to go, but he was still leery, right? It's it's scary to be vulnerable and you're very vulnerable in prison. And that the thing he chose to, to create in that vulnerable environment was a heart. Yes. And then everyone has to pass their art to the next person and it goes through everyone in the group. Yes. More vulnerability. And then understanding that his fellow prisoners, that they were people too, and they were trying to support him and reach out to him in that, in that safe environment, if you will. That's what those art programs in prison is create a safe environment for the different Types of prisoners, gang members, whatever, you know, to interact with each other and understand that they're all, they're people and that they're, you know, they need, you know, they may have their battles within the prison system and against the prison system. But yeah, I thought that was a really beautiful story. Yeah. And as we're talking about it, it's, uh, you know, I, I was raising before this idea of misconceptions that people on the outside, quote unquote, have about those in the system. But even even that individual who goes to the program, he may have had some misconceptions about those in the program with him. Oh yes. And it helped him even see in a in a different light because when he gets his heart back, it has all these untethered Uh, beautiful uh, displays of of feathers and kite strings and just really hopeful images is what it evoked to me. Right. And then he decided that was when it was time for him to get that up over the wall. So we've talked about justice, but circling back to it, is there perhaps a way you viewed justice years ago and the way you view justice now? Yeah, I, you know, as far as justice, I think it's an evolving learning situation for me. My dad worked at IBM. We lived in Michigan and Jackson Prison was on his way home. So he would stop there. I think he did this for like a year and he taught economics. And one night he came back and he was just really, really upset I asked him what he was, what was wrong. I was only eight years old. And he said, 
I can't stand seeing these men in cages. And when I go to get a candy bar out of the vending machine, out comes cockroaches. And I know that they're drinking water that's brown. And he said, what I want you to understand is that these men are brilliant. If I could, if I could put a suit and tie on them, they could be my coworkers. And that made such a huge impression on me for my dad to be that upset. So the evolving part, I guess, is that, you know, it started out with my dad, then getting involved. You know, I like real estate. I like earning money. Money is great. I think it can solve a lot of problems. But then seeing Emmanuel situate, well, I taught a man how to read. He had his high school degree. He didn't know his alphabet. And so they just kept passing him on. And then I worked at, or volunteered rather, at Larkin Street Youth Center. And they were called throwaway kids. Half of them were HIV positive because that's how they were surviving on the streets in San Francisco. So I guess I've just always been compelled to do something, volunteer, learn more. Um, so this is how how has it evolved? I've just learned more and more each time I keep putting my step my foot forward. I, I mean, I, I keep learning more. I mean, doing a podcast with you, I'm learning. And and uh, even seeing the circumstances of what your father witnessed and then fast-forwarding to today, it's really not that much improved. No. Mm-mm. No. And I think... And then that's where I go back to Martin Luther King. That's what he was trying to change. He was trying to make it not equal for all, but people were judged on their character, not on their color or their skin. And not, no, you're right. Not a lot has changed there. And, you know, so we could talk about um, solitary confinement. That's horrible. But I want to parlay that off onto something else. Coincidentally, it was um, Sino who sent me an article out of Vanity Fair of this white woman. She, well, she's, um, her last name is La Engel. She wrote uh, Wrinkle in Time. And she corresponded with the innocent Black Panther who was incarcerated in Jackson, Michigan prison and through their correspondence they started to learn about one another and he would teach her things she would teach him things and she encouraged him to go on despite the fact that he had been he would you know after a period of time had been transferred to different prisons and he earned his master's degree and taught um Art and and law and social justice. That was a beautiful story that 
you know, so, you know, took out of a magazine and sent to me. So there was all these intersections there. Either you or C-Note, what would be, um, or perhaps both, if you know, or if you think you know from your back and forth with him, the message that you would want to send to uh, those who, who don't understand the importance of the arts uh, in the system? C-Note's project at UCLA was a drawing of a cell with just a little metal desk. And it was what basically you're doing also is the correlation between arts and law. So I think that's the message he wants is that, that yes, the arts are healing and they're great, but can we change, you know, start having a call to action to start to, to change the laws, to make it better for people who are incarcerated. Because not everyone's going to be an artist. Someone may be a dancer. Someone may be a musician, great yoga instructor, whatever. But that there needs to be, you know, art, art and programs in the prisons that help. There will be links in the show notes to learn more. If you were intrigued by this podcast, it would be much appreciated if you could leave a rating or review and tag Warfare Vartenlaw Podcast. You can also email your comments to Stephanie at warfarevartenlaw.com. Until next time, this is Stephanie Drotty bringing you Warfare of Art and Law. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. What are your plans for the second Saturday of this month? Perhaps consider joining in for a discussion about art, culture, and social issues. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. And every second Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, I host the Second Saturday Art and Justice Gathering, an online call that explores a range of topics from artists who might inspire to legal decisions that might infuriate all with the aim of sparking dialogue about social justice and promoting creative thinking. If interested, please email me at stephanie at warfareofartandlaw.com.